Thanks for joining us here at Belgian Community Church. Our current series is called Failure is Not Final. What feels like the end for us can be a new beginning with Jesus. When I was a kid, I failed swimming lessons one time, and it wasn't the worst thing that happened during that swim lesson semester. Because one day we were, uh, for whatever reason, now I realize that the swim instructor probably thought, okay, I'm out of time, I have nothing else to teach them today. So she said, now you guys have free play, do whatever you want to do. And this one boy said, okay, let's play, and he had some name for the game. But the idea was, he said, Joseph, you go, to, you go out here in this deep end and try and swim to the wall, and I'll try and keep you from, from the wall. And I uh, remember I failed swimming lessons that semester. So at that point, I had no clue. Really. I mean, I knew the theory behind treading water, but I couldn't tread water. And so here we are in eight, nine feet of water. And this kid says, go, and shoves me out into the deep end. And I'm like kicking my legs and doing what the instructor said to do and not really making any progress. So I start swimming towards the, the wall. And no matter where I try and swim towards the wall, he like blocks my way and pushes me back. And so after about 30 to 45 seconds of not being able to tread water and not being able to reach the wall, I realized I'm about to go down. And I called for help and then like he, he thought it was still a game. So I called for help and I start going under. I'm like, I, I don't, my six year old, seven year old life is flashing before my eyes. I'm going, this is it. <laughs> This kid's serious, and I'm not going to get back to the wall. And finally, at that last moment, as my head was going under, he like realizes, oh, he's actually in trouble. So he reaches his hand down and grabs me. And that was my experience with, I, I need to get here. The kid's like pushing me away, and now I'm going to drown. And I, I've got nothing to hold me up. I have nowhere to go. And I was thinking of that story this, this morning because... Oftentimes, we're in this series on failures on final. We think that if I come to God, how is he actually going to act? Now, if we've been in church for very long, we know theoretically God saves sinners, God forgives, it's all going to be okay. But deep down in our hearts, if you're like me, we can often go, I really need to get this under control. I need to get this under control before I can come to Jesus. Jesus doesn't want to see me like that. Jesus doesn't want to see me with this, this kind of attitude, this, these kinds of thoughts. Jesus doesn't want somebody like me with this kind of thing. Maybe I'm alone, but maybe you're here today and you're like, is God going to push me away if I start swimming towards the wall? If I start coming towards him, is he going to say, no, stay back. You're not ready. Stay out there. You're, you can't come here yet. What are we going to find Jesus? Go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 7. In this series, Failure is Not Final, we've been, we looked at what, how God responds at the lowest moment in history, Adam and Eve's first disobedience in the garden. Then we look at Israel's lowest moment before they go off into 70 years of exile. How God responds to the Jewish people, sending them off into exile with promises. Today, we're going to look at Luke chapter 7 to see how Jesus responds to two people. The heading in your Bible will probably talk about one of them, but it's really how Jesus responds to two people. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, says, 
when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Then she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is. But she is a soul. Let's pray. God, God, we, we thank you that we can open your words and not just know, know feelings and things that we are thinking, but we can actually hear from you how you respond when sinners come to the There's some strange things about this kind of meal. There's some strange things about this kind of meal because we don't really eat dinner like this. I was talking with my wife and she was like, I don't really understand what's happening here. One of the Pharisees invites Jesus. These are the, the religious leaders. They're kind of self-appointed religious leaders. You see, there's, there's some people that rule the people. Those are called the Sadducees. But the Pharisees believe that if we could just obey God enough, God will bless our country. And so... They tried their best to list all of the laws, follow all of the rules, tell everybody else how to follow the rules. Jesus constantly butting heads with them. But one of them invites Jesus to have dinner with him, and Jesus regularly goes to these kinds of dinners. He goes to dinner at this Pharisee's house. They didn't have tables and chairs. They would eat lying down, leaning on their left arm with their faces towards the table, feet pointed outward and they would eat with their right hand. And so one of the strange things is like, what's this woman doing? Is she barging into a private party? Like she just kind of barges into their house. It's actually common at the time that other people, poorer people in particular, could come and kind of watch a meal. So evidently the house is open enough that they're throwing this big party. Jesus comes, leans at the table, and other people come to watch, to hear the conversation, to see what's said, Verse 37 tells us that a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was in the It takes a lot, of, a lot of gall for her to get up the courage to walk to this house with the Pharisees that wanted nothing to do with her. She's got a horrible reputation that everybody knows who she is. They know what she's done. She goes there with an alabaster jar. That's a tall stone jar filled with perfume standing behind Jesus. Like, she, she kind of doesn't, doesn't really have awesome manners, if we're being honest. Like, kind of ruins the party for a woman to come along weeping, enough tears that Jesus' feet are getting wet. And she begins wiping them after they're wet with her hair. Then she kisses his feet, pours perfume on them. Feet at the time were a, kind of a gross thing. I mean, you wear sandals and you walk around streets where there's no plumbing and there's manure and there's dust and there's dirt. And so, like, cleaning your feet is a big deal, but nobody has cleaned Jesus' feet. So he used the tears to do it, wipes it with her hair, kisses them, and then pours valuable perfume on them. Then we get to the crisis of the scene. The crisis of the scene is when the Pharisee is sitting there, and he doesn't even say what he's thinking. He doesn't even say what he's thinking. He says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him. What kind of 
mention it, that she is a sinner. So here's, here, we don't know his name. He's sitting at the party thinking, she's not welcome at this kind of party. Jesus, if he were a prophet, would know these things. The sinners aren't welcome. Not with Pharisees, not with prophets, not with God. So the, this, this Pharisee's expectation is that sinners aren't welcome, so push them away. Jesus must not be from God because he's not pushing them away. So Jesus sitting there. Remember this, here's the scene. Simon's thinking these things, but hasn't said it. It's this awkward party. And Jesus says, Simon, now we know his name. I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Then Jesus tells him a parable. Two men. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. A denarii is a day's wage. So one guy owes about two months worth of work and one guy owes about two years worth of work. He says, but neither of them had the money to pay the money lender back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. The one that owed two years worth of debt and couldn't pay. Jesus says, you have judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, did you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. She has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, that whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. To this point, Jesus says, Simon, I know what you're thinking. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. And it's easy to go, oh, okay, the principle is that those that are forgiven much love much. But Jesus is telling a parable and he's saying, Simon, this woman is one of these people. She owes years worth of debts. And Simon, and you too, might not be as great as hers, but neither one of you can pay, Simon. And here we are at this party. This woman who is loving much is, is showing that I have forgiven her. Forgiven her death. She knows that and so she loves much. And it leaves this unanswered question for Simon that says, Simon, you've shown me no love when you've all been offered forgiveness. Simon, what are you going to do with this forgiveness that you are offered. We see what this woman does when she's offered forgiveness. But here you are, Simon, throwing a party and doing the very minute. What Jesus points us to in this passage is that God does not push away sinners. Jesus calls out and says, receive my welcome, sinful woman and Simon. Simon and sinful woman, neither one of you can pay the debts, so take my welcome. Receive my welcome. Come in. And what I want to show you today, I want to show you three lessons we learned. Jesus calls us to receive his welcome. This first thing we find, that God doesn't push sinners away. 
That's, that's ultimately Simon's question. If Jesus knew who she was, what kind of woman she was, he would do what? Nothing to do with her. Jesus would push her away. And what's so amazing is that Jesus proves a lot, a lot more than just that God doesn't push away sinners to, to Simon. He proves to Simon, Simon, I know what you're thinking. And I know that your entire life has been built around following rules and telling everybody else to follow the rules because you think that you can somehow earn God's acceptance. You're in, Simon, your whole mentality, your whole thinking, your whole religion is built on this idea that God pushes sinners away. So we've got to somehow become good enough that God might welcome us. Simon, I think you're afraid. I think you're afraid that God doesn't want you or anybody else to come near. So Jesus teaches Simon and the woman this, this lesson. God welcomes sinners, not pushing them away, blowing up Simon's whole thinking. Is that holiness means that we can never come to be near God. Jesus telling Simon, Simon, your whole idea of God's holiness is true, but not that God pushes away sinners, but that God, in his great mercy, forgives and welcomes sinners. It's the kind of thing that we see throughout Jesus. When Jesus is going through the crowds and a woman with an issue of blood where nobody would touch her, nobody was welcome, she couldn't worship God, she wasn't welcome in the temple, she wouldn't be welcome with her family, reaches out and touches Jesus. And what we find in the story of the woman who's not welcome because of the issue of her blood is that instead of her uncleanness, unholiness being transmitted to Jesus, that we find in that story that Jesus' holiness instead flows out given to her. We find that Jesus, when he finds the, that, who, that she's the woman that had reached out and touched him, doesn't push her away. He said, welcome her and sends her away. This is the ministry of Jesus. And so if you're here today and you're going, if only God knew what kind of person I am, the things that I've done and am capable of doing, God will push me away. If you're here going, God is going to push me away. No, this story blows that up and said, no, God does not push away sinners. He instead extends a welcome to you. If you look at other people and take a list of their sins and say, God's going to push them away because he doesn't want them in their problems. You need to know that God doesn't push away sinners. Instead welcomes them in, whether their sins are great or their sins are small. The second lesson that we learn from this story that Jesus removes sinful identities. Because what's ultimately at stake in this story is her identity. The story says that a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was using his prayers. We never find out her name, but we sure know her identity. Everybody knows that she's a sinner. She wears it around her neck. Everybody knows who she is. They know what she's done, and they know that she is not welcome. Her identity is at stake. And what I love is that when Jesus is addressing Simon, in verse 47, he says, Therefore I tell you, for many sins have been forgiven. Jesus reads Simon's mind. If you're reading the ESV or some other translations, Jesus says, for sins, which are many. Jesus tells Simon, Simon, I know who she is and what she's done, but that's not her identity anymore. We live in a world that says you are what you do. You are the things and the sins that you bear. That's the, the kind of church that we can often be is to say that, oh, my sins are what I am. And in this story, we find that Jesus 
takes her sins and removes that identity. This woman, sins are forgiven. Amen. These sins are real. Jesus isn't asking us to just put them on the shelf and act like, oh, God doesn't care. God is a kindly grandpa who doesn't, doesn't really care what we do. No, we have to raise the bar high like Jesus does and says, she has sins and there are many of them. And Jesus says, they're forgiven. We have to become the kind of people that say that, that sins do not become our identities and they don't become one another's identities. We can, we can say these sins are real and they're significant and they must be repented of. They're not your identity. Jesus can forgive. Jesus removes this sinful identity from this woman. So now she can be known for something else. She can be known as the woman who washed Jesus' feet when nobody else did. Isn't that Jesus' specialty? Jesus who goes to a Samaritan woman, a, a woman that nobody wants anything to do with. Nobody draws water in the middle of the day except the woman that's hiding. And Jesus goes to the well and he meets her and he changes her life. Jesus is the one that goes out into the wilderness to the man who is racked by demons, filled with demons. Nobody wants anything to do with him. Nobody can have anything to do with him because he's so dangerous. And yet Jesus goes and takes those identities away, restoring people to his kingdom and sending them out with a purpose. So what we find in this passage is that failure is not your identity. That sin is not your identity. There's, there's nothing that... that that the world points to and says, look at you. Look at all of these mistakes you've made. Look at how far you've fallen. Failure is not an identity. Sin is not an identity. And the third thing we find in this passage is that both of them owe a debt and neither one can pay. Both Simon and the woman owe debts they cannot pay. Simon's, Simon's mentality is that God doesn't want sinners nearby and Jesus says, Simon, you and the woman are in the same boat, bearing debts that are different, but debts you cannot pay, Simon. Simon, you too need forgiveness, and I have it. Simon thought that really just Jesus being a prophet was at stake. Jesus raises the ball and says, no, actually, I'm God because I can forgive your sins. These sins that are against God alone, Simon, I can wipe away. And what we find in the story is that we don't know Simon's response. If you look down at the end of it, Jesus calls out to Simon, inviting Simon into this story. For many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Simon, you have shown no love. You've been offered forgiveness. And you're not taking it, Simon. We so often expect Jesus to just rail on the Pharisees pointing out all the ways that they're wrong. And Jesus does do that. But in this moment, he comes to Simon with great tenderness and says, Simon, you can't pay your debt and I'll wipe it out. Will you take this, Simon? Will you take this, Simon? And yet we have silence. Only the woman goes in peace. Only the woman goes in peace. So you and I are called in this passage to look at our own lives and not say, oh, well, look, I'm better than somebody else. But instead, to look at our own lives and say, God, I owe debts I cannot pay. I'm four years old. I'm five years old. My sins are many. And yet God will wipe those out. I'm 50 years old. I'm 55. I'm 60 years old. My sins are many. Jesus promises to wipe them away and let us go in peace. All of us have to look at our lives and go, we cannot pay this. And yet Jesus can. 
I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 55. It's this invitation to come and buy bread without money. Come to me and buy bread without money. How can, how can it be that Jesus would give to us when we have nothing to pay? How can it be that Jesus would wipe away our sins? Because the story of the Bible is that God pushed Jesus away instead of us. The story of the Bible is that Jesus takes our sinful identity, dying as a thief and a murderer and an insurrectionist, so that we don't have to bear that identity. The story of the Bible is that there's a debt we cannot pay, and Jesus pays it for us. So we can receive Jesus' welcome knowing for sure that it is for us, and that it is secure, and that there's no information God's going to find out later, and he's going to take it back. Jesus knows the sinful woman, what she's done. Jesus knows you. He knows what you've done. He knows where you've been, and he knows where you're going. And the story of the Bible says, come to this table and eat with Jesus. You go, how, how can I know for sure? How can, what kind of response does Jesus want? What does it mean when Jesus says, your faith has saved you? If you're new here, Every week I tell the story that God made the world and he made it good. And he made Adam and Eve and all the people after them to be little kings underneath him, expressing his rule and his reign in the world, caring for it and loving it and shepherding and stewarding it, and then reflecting the world's perfection back to God in worship. And Adam and Eve said, no, we have a different way. And you and I said, no, we're going to live our own way we are going to show the world that we are something. We are going to be the, the, the great kings over our own lives. And any worship from the world comes to us and not to God. The Bible says that God promises that one day you will crush his enemies. That one day all of his enemies will die a physical and a spiritual death and be separated from God forever. But instead of leaving us there with this idea that God will one day push us away permanently, Jesus came and lived the life that we should live died the death that we should die so that all who turn away from that, that way of living, that, that sinful life, and say, I don't want that. I don't want to be my own king. I don't want the worship for myself. Jesus, I'll take you. We call that repentance and faith, and you can right now in your seat repent of sin and trust in Christ. You can right now in your seat repent of sin and trust in Christ, turning away from this way that you've been living, coming to the table, just like this woman did in love and worship, accepting Jesus' forgiveness and the promise not just that God forgives and includes you, but that he brings you in as an heir, a co-heir with Jesus, with all of the rights and privileges of a son. So that instead of just being a little king, we become an heir with Jesus and all, with all of his promises. So the invitation to us Belgium Community Church, and on this day and this time, is to receive Jesus' welcome. Maybe it was 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you initially received Jesus' welcome, but you need to know today, there's nothing in your past and there's nothing in the future that's going to change Jesus' mind. That he is calling to you right now, come, you're welcome. I'm not going to push you away. So whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that you hide and bury deep in your heart, and you go, oh, I need to get this fixed. 
before I can become clean, before I can go to church, before I can be involved in God's mission and God's world. Paul hears, no, receive his welcome. He knows, and he will not push you away. So then what changes? What changes? We become the kind of church where Simon and sinful women both welcome. In our families, as we all realize, we sit around the table with other people that need forgiveness just as much as I do, who can't pay their debts any more than I can pay my own debts. We become this, this community of welcome and grace as we begin to live out the welcome of Jesus. Instead of like Simon saying, oh, well, I should invite Jesus over as a burden. Instead, we become just grateful that he wants to eat with us, and then that changes everything. Our church becomes a manifestation of good news. We receive Jesus' welcome, and we look around giving welcome to God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that failure is not final, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done in our we thank you that we know that the way that Jesus welcomes that sinful woman is the way that you welcome us. Thanks for joining us for our series called Failure is Not Final. Please connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and BelgiumChurch.com.